You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Welcome to this June 2018 episode of the Watchman's Post podcast. Like that guy said, my name is Robert King. Happy to be speaking with you now. It's, uh, I'm uh, somewhat embarrassed to say that it's been a half a year almost since the last program. I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, we got it going now. The microphone is on. I've got... Uh, some questions in front of me. And so let's get to it. I'm going to condense this question because I'm not sure if he wanted it to be public. I don't want to give away any personal information, but the gist of it is he writes that he's an unbaptized publisher and making progress and the elders want him to get baptized, but he knows the ramifications of that. And, uh, he is aware of a lot of the things that I've written as as regards prophecy. He wants to be able to help the brothers, but he knows that if he's baptized, then it sort of muzzles him and limits his freedom of speech because, well, he'd be disfellowshipped. <laughs> and that's really a um, sad state of affairs today, isn't it? He didn't ask specifically uh whether he was, I would advise him to be baptized or not. Uh, but I'm going to give my opinion, and I, I think it's in line with his thinking here. I think it is wise in your situation, since you have this impulse to want to help, to want to speak, uh, not to be baptized. Because, sad to say, they will use that as a tool to muzzle you. It's, you know, I was disfellowshipped for speaking out, for disagreeing with the Watchtower. That's a tool of control. So I think it's best to lay low. And, you know, you can be baptized perhaps at a future time, keep making progress, and uh, see what Jehovah or Christ opens up for you. You know, in the book of Revelation, it uses that expression that, Jesus says to those in one of the congregations that he'll open a door for them that no man can close. So, yeah, that would be my advice. You know, in the first century, Jesus had secret disciples. I wrote a commentary on um, Nicodemus and uh, another Pharisee. They they were part of the Pharisees. They if they publicly announced their faith in Christ, then they would lose their standing, you know, with the uh, Pharisees. Nicodemus actually spoke up for Christ, though. Had he been thrown out before then, he would not have had that opportunity to speak. If you recall, uh, leading up to the arrest of Jesus, you know, the Pharisees were breathing threat and murder, and Nicodemus stood up and said, is it really a, a part of our law to judge a man without hearing from him first? 
And of course, they shot him down right off. You're not a disciple of that man, are you? Well, he was, but it wasn't publicly known. Maybe they suspected it. Didn't matter. But when the time came, after Jesus had been put to death, on the day he was put to death, where were the 12 apostles? <laughs> Nowhere to be found. They were scattered. And Nicodemus stood up and uh, they got the body of Jesus and they prepared it for burial. So Jehovah used him at that time, even though he wasn't what you would call a footstep follower of Jesus. In fact, you know, he came to Jesus in the night. You can read about that in the fourth chapter of John. where, uh, And Jesus recognized, you know, the awkward position he was in. He didn't condemn him for sneaking around. In fact, he, he revealed some things to Nicodemus that Jesus didn't reveal to anyone else about being born again. So interesting. Uh, be faithful to Jehovah and Christ. Be a secret disciple if that's the situation you're in. And Jehovah may use you in a very big way. Thank you for your question. Friends, I do want to say something. Um, I've tried to write about this a little bit. and <laughs> The message hasn't gotten through somehow. But on my website... There's a contact page. You know, I invite your questions. It's just for your convenience, so you don't have to send me a direct email. But there's a downside to it, and that if you use the contact form and you want me to reply to you privately, I can't do it unless you leave your email. See, that contact form comes, it sends me an email from my server on the Watchman's Post. So if I hit reply in my email box, it just sends uh, the reply back to me. <laughs> and so I've gotten quite a few emails from people. There's a little, in the form, there's a little space in there for your email. And if you want me to respond to you privately, you have to put your email in there. Otherwise, I cannot respond to you. Okay. My question is, what is a thousand years to Satan? The reason I ask is because to Jehovah, a thousand years is as a day. Would that also mean that the devil will only be incarcerated for a day? For us humans, a thousand years is a long time. That time only affects us, but for Satan, it could only be a day. I know the significance of a thousand years as for us to reach perfection in Jehovah's eyes, but for Satan, it would mean nothing. Satan has been around since the beginning of time. Living that long only means that his imprisonment does not really affect him as much as it would affect us. Well, that's an interesting uh, perspective. I would only correct you on one point, that Satan has not been around since the beginning of time. Uh, you could really mark the beginning of time from the creation of the Word who became Jesus. As mind-boggling as it is, Jehovah has always existed, living in perpetuity by himself. There was no time. It's non-existent. Uh, but time is marked from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the Word, right? In the beginning, the Word was, is the way it says, but that's the beginning 
life other than Jehovah came into existence. Satan, sometime after that, shortly, maybe after what we have no idea, could have been eons and eons. Angel time is obviously different than our time. A year to us is what? One trip around the sun, you know? I've been on this planet for 65 revolutions around the sun. That's not very many. But that's the way we count time. And and it's interesting to Jehovah, a thousand years is as one day. But one day is as a thousand years. That's not saying the same thing reversed. Think about it. One of our days to Jehovah is like a thousand years to us. In other words, since we got up this morning, it's been like 200 years to God. He's He can think, you know, a million thoughts and, you know, do a thousand things all at once. He really is almighty. He has no limitations. Uh, it's incomprehensible. Anyway, back to the question, uh, what is a thousand years to Satan? Who cares? What difference does it make? How long he's incarcerated? I mean, what happens when he gets out of the abyss? He's only let out for a short while, right? To test mankind after they have been brought to the perfection that Adam and Eve possessed. Uh, then what? <laughs> it's off to the lake of fire. Death. So it doesn't matter what Satan's count of time is. When he gets out, of the, he, he would probably prefer to stay in the abyss, right? Because when he comes out, he, he's going to be trounced by Christ and put to death. Yeah? So, come Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, here is a question. Dear Robert, I've seeing questions from people asking you if they should stay in the organization with all of its corruption. And part of your reply has been that the congregation in the first century was corrupt, and yet God continued to use it until it no longer served its purpose. I just watched a video clip of one of the governing body members talking about how the Watchtower does not protect pedophiles. I had to turn it off. It was so vile. She got on goes on to say uh, some of this stuff is really shocking and it makes it difficult to have any positive feelings towards, quote, God's organization. My question is, did the first century congregation really get that bad? What was going on at the time that made it so corrupt? And how bad do things need to get before Jehovah says enough is enough? Seems that the watchtower can't really sink much lower. <laughs> Oh, you'd be surprised, my sister. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I wrote one of the first articles I wrote. Uh, it was entitled, The Watchtower Sinks to a New All-Time Low. And it had to do with child abuse. I think I've long since deleted that article. But anyway, um, you know, we there were things going on in the first century, obviously, that Superfine apostles in the Corinthian congregation. Uh, the apostle John wrote in his third letter that uh, there was this character, Diotrephes, who didn't receive anything with respect from the apostles. And he tried to throw out of the congregation those who were hospitable to 
ones coming into the congregation. That was a pretty outrageous thing. And then there, you know, Jesus spoke to the seven symbolic congregations, and though they were symbolic, there must have been some basis in reality. He spoke about this influence of this woman Jezebel and Balaam, and both of whom were uh, misleading the congregation into idolatry and immorality. And given that deplorable situation, what did Jesus say? Get out of the congregation? No. He said, I gave them time to repent, but if they don't, I'm throwing them and their children into great tribulation. So, yeah, when God says enough is enough, then uh, that, we're going to see the hammer fall. The, que the question, though, is not really how bad does the congregation have to get, because should our faith be predicated upon what others do? If some are unfaithful, does that relieve us of any responsibility before God and Christ? We have to ask, what is God's will? I think there is uh, a human factor involved, whereas we may be, you know, the Bible says that the heart is treacherous and desperate. Who can know it? Who can know their own heart motivations? You know, it's, it's not easy being one of Jehovah's Witnesses. You have, you know, meetings, preparing for service. It's, it requires quite a bit of effort. And we have our own personal problems, family problems, we have health problems, and we may not be getting much encouragement in our particular congregation. Some congregations, obviously, uh, are more supportive than others. You may be dealing with, you know, some really discouraging things, and and then you see the governing body coming up with this stuff. It It really is discouraging, deflating. But here's the question. Who are you serving? If we leave the organization because of what the Watchtower has done or has not done, whatever, aren't we really saying to God that we've been followers of men all along? If we're following these men and these men do something that is obviously wrong and wicked, and then we go off in another direction, what are we telling God in Christ? So I would encourage people to analyze your, your motive, your heart motive. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, Paul would say, can't you put up with some little inconvenience? He, he asked the uh, Hebrew, none of you have... have suffered as far as blood yet, have you? Have any of us suffered as far as blood? Have we been beaten or stoned or thrown out of the congregation, right? Or well, maybe we have been thrown out or disfellowshipped, but even that, I mean, I've made every effort to keep my faith all of these years. I haven't gone off and started celebrating Christmas or, you know, some of this stuff. 
the problem I see, if you leave off going to the congregation and cease being part of the congregation, where do you go? Um, you, for one thing, I think you lose discipline. I know in my case, I can attest to that. It is discipline, at, you know, keeping up with the Bible reading and and all of that, going to meetings, it's discipline. And there has to be some encouragement there, seeing friends face to face. And so uh, I fear that those that leave off associating run the risk of, excuse me, <clears throat> run the risk of losing uh, your identity. And, you know, who are you? Who are you really? If you are an inactive witness, what is that? I mean, <laughs> so I, I think we can put up with a lot if our faith is in Christ. And I've, I've tried to give Jehovah's Witnesses who are you know, you know, carrying this burden, I've tried to give you a reason to look forward to the future. For example, the Watchtower says that Christ came in 1918 and judged the house of God. Well, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Judging the house of God. When Christ came to the temple in Jerusalem on a couple of occasions, he fashioned a whip of, made of ropes and drove out the money changers, created quite a commotion. Well, Christ is coming to do the same thing in a spiritual temple. The Watchtower says, that's happened. It's, we're all good now, right? Well, no, we're not all good. So there's something coming. There's something coming. Christ is coming. He is not in any sense of the word come. You know, I, I find it amazing that the Watchtower actually says that the second coming of Christ has already occurred. In 1914. It's no big deal then, right? But I believe the second coming of Christ is a big deal, and it has not come. Another question here, totally confused with this paragraph. And then they quote me saying, The sons and daughters are those who are already anointed. I'm speaking on the second chapter of Joel where he talks about the sons and daughters and the Spirit being poured out upon them and the men servants and maidservants. And I go on to say, unlike on the day of Pentecost, those sons and daughters who are destined to receive the Spirit during the conclusion are already anointed. The Spirit seals them with God's approval and transforms them into kings of the kingdom even though they will still exist in the flesh for a short while. End quote. So their comment is, those from Pentecost still exist in the flesh for a short while? Please explain. I thought the remnant left from our day at that time will be transformed into spirit sons just before the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, well, I'm sorry you misunderstood me. When I referred to those in the first century... I was contrasting them with those who receive this spirit during the conclusion. 
because the prophecy has a dual application. The Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, quoted from this prophecy. And those 120 in the upper room who received the Spirit and tongues of fire set upon their head, they were anointed with the Spirit on that occasion. That is when they became sons and daughters. Prior to that, they were, you know, the men were circumcised Israelites, and the women were daughters of Zion, you might say, fleshly Israelites, and they were also disciples of Jesus. But they were not anointed until that day of Pentecost. That is when they became adopted sons and daughters. But the book of Joel, as it refers to uh, the second application, God's Spirit comes upon those who already are sons and daughters. So they receive the full measure of God's Spirit, something that has never happened to any human on earth other than Jesus Christ when he was upon the earth. And so that's what brings about this transformation. That's what brings about the final sealing, which I've gone into. And if I can go off on a bit of a tangent here, that is the circumstance which brings about Armageddon. Because once these sons and daughters are sealed, they are welcomed into the kingdom. There's no more, God has no more testing for them. And, but they're still in the flesh. They're still mortal. And the temptation for Satan is just too great because he's, he's broken many over the years. He's gotten Jehovah's sons and daughters to be unfaithful. He's got them to become apostates. He's developed an evil slave. Surely these last remaining ones... He can break. All he has to do is break one of them because after the sealing has occurred, Jehovah's not going to anoint anymore, right? There's no more replacements. God has his 144,000 together. So if Satan gets one to become unfaithful, he's, he's one, right? He's embarrassed Jehovah. And so that's how Jehovah puts hooks in his jaws, right? He tempts him. Come on, test, test my people. See if they'll break. Give them everything. Just, you can kill him. You know, back in the day of Job, when Satan stood up, why, you've given this man everything. You put a hedge about him. You know, flesh on behalf of flesh. Every man, everything a man has, he'll give on behalf of his soul. Well, Job said, you can test him, but don't take his soul, his life. Well, here, Job says, you can test him to the death. Come on, bring it on. Huh? And they don't break. And their deaths result in their instantaneously becoming changed into immortal spirits, joining Christ in the heaven, and then they'll be in the position to crush Satan. As Paul said in Romans, Jehovah will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So, yeah, and why wouldn't Jehovah destroy a world that kills his sons and daughters. He's never really brought vengeance for uh, them killing Jesus. It's true, he destroyed Jerusalem, but uh, that was not really setting things straight. Armageddon will. 
settle the score. How would you explain the increasing number of memorial partakers within the Watchtower organization? Well, I, uh, I don't really think it's for me to, ex- to explain. It's <laughs> it, it, the burden is really upon the Watchtower because, uh, you know, consistently they've, they've tried to close the door. You know, long ago they said that the anointing ended back in 1935. And yet every member of the governing body now, uh, assuming they are anointed as they claim, Every one of them was anointed after 1935. So they've had to revise that. Uh, but I would explain it uh, in line with what uh, the parable illustration Jesus gave in the 20th chapter of Matthew about uh, the master of the vineyard who hired workers to go out into his vineyard. And uh, he went out the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and so on, kept hiring men. Go to work in my vineyard. I'll pay you. Uh, and then he went out the 11th hour and hired workers just to work the one hour and uh, created quite a bit of dissatisfaction with the workers that worked all day because they got the same wage. Uh, But the moral of the story is some of those first will be last and those last will be first. So there are those who are anointed very last, before uh, the whole thing ends, before the final sealing. And apparently it is Jehovah's will that uh, they be blessed first. How that will be carried out, I, I suspect as the parousia gets underway, Jesus will appear to them first. And I think there's a pattern for that when you consider after Jesus' death, he was resurrected, Who did he reveal himself to first? Peter? John? The disciple he loved? No. Neither one of those. James? No. It was Mary, a woman. And he said, Go tell my brothers that I am ascending to your father and my father, your God and my God. Go tell your brothers. So he used Mary as a messenger. <laughs> and you know how they thought of women back then. They, just, they, didn't, they didn't consider them legal witnesses in a court case. And all you have to do is look at the way women are treated in some of the Islamic countries today, which is really a holdover from ancient times. And uh, so very, very interesting, isn't it? So I... I think that there are those who are being anointed at this late date, and but whatever Jehovah does, Satan also mimics, right? So we can expect some of those who are memorial takers to be, you know, weeds that Satan has planted to try to confuse things. But it all gets sorted out in the harvest, doesn't it? When the angels go out and pull the weeds out and bring the wheat into the storehouse. Then uh, you'll know who's who and what's what. Okay, here's another question from the same questioner. He says, unless it's all happening in secret, behind the scenes, 
I really do not see how a world empire, false religion, riding on the back of the beast or telling the world polit politicians what to do, except with those ever-meddling Jews and Israelis. <laughs> oh, what do you think, he says. Well, I think religion is uh, still pretty influential. I mean, you look at the Islamic world. If you say anything against Allah, uh, you're liable to get your head cut off or something like that. And in the United States, you know, politicians have to uh, consider how they can placate and get, get the vote of the evangelicals. And they have to dance around on issues like abortion and, and that kind of stuff, even though they, they may not have the least bit of reverence in them. They have to pretend, you know, to get the vote because why? Because religion still has a considerable amount of influence. Maybe it's been waning in recent years, but uh, apparently somebody thinks it it is uh, something to be dealt with. So here's another question. Is it possible to identify the dragon, uh, the beast, false prophet, and the three frogs at, at this present time? Well, yes and no. It's easy to identify the dragon. Uh, the 12th chapter of Revelation says that the dragon is the original serpent, the one called devil and Satan. So, no, no question about that. It's interesting that the, the dragon has seven heads, and those seven heads correspond to the seven-headed wild beast upon the earth. So that shows you that this earthly political empire that has existed from Egypt through Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and up to the Anglo-American, it is a counterpart of this heavenly satanic government. So we know that the dragon and the beast are, we know who they are. As for the false prophet, the Watchtower says the false prophet is America. Well, I would discount that. I, I don't really think we can identify it at this particular time because I don't think the parousia and the end has begun. Now, of course, <clears throat> the Watchtower claims it all began in 1914. But one of the most common features of, of what Jesus spoke about in the 24th chapter of Matthew was the presence of false prophets and false Christs who will arise and mislead many. So that hasn't happened yet. I think the Watchtower will be a false Christ for Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, how else could the chosen ones be deceived? Because Jesus said even the chosen ones could be misled if that were possible. It's not possible for, you know, some Catholic clergyman or evangelical preacher to mislead the chosen ones. They have no influence over us. But uh, the Watchtower does. So, But I don't think we can really uh, identify the false prophet absolutely. I, 
I have intimated that since there is this presence of the Illuminati, these Masons, and they do practice a form of Satanism, and they do have a, a religion, as it were, I suspect that uh, they will be this the voice of this false prophet. I can't say for sure, but that that's what I'm thinking. They have, they have done so much to perpetuate falsehood that it's hard to imagine them not being instrumental in the future. So, uh, and you, I mean, given the technology that is being developed, artificial intelligence and uh, holograms, and I mean, you, you have no idea, we have no idea what might be unleashed in the future when this all comes down uh, to mislead mankind in a thousand different ways. As for the three frogs, it's interesting. So, so much in the book of Revelation is it draws upon things that happened in other parts of the Bible, particularly uh, in Genesis. I mean, like the 12th chapter of Revelation that speaks about the dragon and the woman and the seed of the woman and so forth. That's all from the very first prophecy in Genesis where Jehovah said he would put enmity between you the original serpent, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And here, thousands of years later, these same uh, symbolic entities are spoken of in the conclusion, where it all comes to a head. The enmity comes out into open warfare. But these three frogs, I think, harken back to uh, when Moses confronted Pharaoh. And just as Revelation has the seven plagues, well, Jehovah released the ten plagues upon Egypt. But three of those plagues were duplicated by Pharaoh's magic-practicing priests. For example, uh, Moses threw his staff down, the magic priests threw theirs down as well, and it became both became serpents, except Moses' serpent ate <laughs> the, the, the magic priest's serpent. Moses turned the Nile into blood. No big deal. The, the magicians did the same thing. Moses brought frogs upon the land. Satan's magicians did the same thing. They created frogs. So I think these three frogs uh, suggests that it's some sort of uh, uncanny omen, some magical portent that goes forth to the kings of the earth to convince them to attack Jehovah's people, to wipe them out. And that, of course, brings us to the war of the great day of God the Almighty. But again, I uh, can't say for sure what, what those, you know, how it all play out, but uh, it will play out I'm certain of that. Uh, our our duty is to be faithful until that time, to be on the right side, and to appreciate how you know all these things unfold, and to be part of the the winning team, you might say. Well, I got an email the other day. Someone asked me what the purpose of life was, and um, 
what's the point of it all? What What is the purpose of life in the future? If we live forever, if we're immortal, is that it? I mean, what happens then? <laughs> um, you know, that's a big question. I, what is the meaning of life? You know, if you ask an atheist that, their answer would be, well, there is no meaning. We're here now. That's it. You know, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you're going to die. You'll be dead forever. So, you know, just do it like the Nike logo. You know, there was a uh, an entertainer here that just committed suicide last week. Uh, Anthony Bourdain had a program on CNN. He would travel the world and try out different foods. And, you know, he really... I would say promoted a hedonistic lifestyle. And he just goes off and hangs himself in his hotel room. And what does that say? I mean, life is... I've gone everywhere. I've traveled the world. I've done this and that. I've eaten all their food. And I don't want to do an encore. So life is meaningless. I'm out of here. That's basically... I don't know. You know, suicide is really, it's becoming one of the main causes of death among Americans. And that's really sad. And people are lost and life has no meaning. Uh, but that's really so unnecessary because life has a purpose. And it all has to do with God, doesn't it? He created for a reason. Says that in the book of Genesis, created for the purpose of creating. And of course, we can read that he gave Adam an assignment become many, be fruitful. Think he could handle that? Raising a family, having sex, and enjoying a family life, and, you know, develop the earth, uh, have in subjection all the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the heavens, and all, everything that moves on the earth. It's all yours. Well, it's not yet, but it will be. That's why Jesus came down. He is going to uh, take over where Adam left off and give the earth back to Adam's offspring and show us how to have things in, in subjection. I don't know about you, but uh, I would thoroughly enjoy living forever in paradise. Because I tell you what, I enjoy living now. I enjoy every day. I'm out here in the country. I, I got to tell you, the, I like the seasonal change, you know. I lived in Southern California for a while. Like the first year, I thought, man, I am in paradise, you know. Bougainvillea bloom all year round. Birds of paradise everywhere. Uh, the sea was right there. It's beautiful. But I grew up in the Midwest, and then, like, after a year, I, I began missing the seasons. You know, you wake up, ho-hum, another beautiful day, here we are. <laughs> but here I am back in the Midwest, and I got to tell you, in Michigan, the winters can wear you down. And the older I get, I, it's harder for me to stay warm, you know, and I'm, I'm cold all the time. And uh, this winter, I think that's why I didn't podcast. I think I... I, I got depressed. I have to be honest. I I uh, lost my spark, you know, because I'm an outdoor guy. And uh, 
I wasn't even walking my dog because there's ice on the, you know, I haven't fallen in the last couple of years. But um, anyway, um, <laughs> spring is just glorious. When you, when you go through six months of cold, bleak winter, and this year, just an explosion of life. It just, it just renews my f- faith in Jehovah every year. I'm waiting for the first lightning bugs or fireflies or something. I'm on firefly watch. I haven't seen one yet this year, but it's such a thrill when these bugs come up out of the ground at sunset. I hope they haven't been killed off. I mean, hardly see any honeybees around. But, uh, you know, I just read an article recently that, a blogger thinks that the UK is facing ecological collapse for this very reason. You think insects are a nuisance? <laughs> when you lose the insects, yeah, you're all facing an ecological collapse. Anyway, I'm saying I, I enjoy life, and this spring has like renewed me. Planting the garden, I've got a, my wife. And I really enjoy gardening now. Uh, we're looking forward. Well, we have, we've already had our f- first fruits of the season. I had a strawberry this morning. Of, um, the rabbits have been munching on them. It's, uh, you know, it's just great. I love it. And I would love uh, living forever in paradise. I can't figure out why people can't get, get their heart and mind into that. Maybe it is that you don't believe it. It is a promise of God, right? As it says in 2 Peter, Jehovah is not slow respecting his promise, as some people consider slowness. But he says, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth according to God's promise. God has never lied. I don't know why he would start now. He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He couldn't lie if he wanted to. (laughs) He doesn't want to, but he has no reason to. There's going to be a new world, a new earth. No crime, no violence, no sickness, no death, no demons, no war. I think that's something. I think that's something really special. So getting there is is our purpose in life. Being faithful to God, to Christ, following his commandments. Isn't that what wise King Solomon said? And Jehovah gave him everything. It's kind of like he had paradise in this system. He had everything he could want, more than he could want. I don't know what you'd do with 600 wives. How could he even remember all their names? It's crazy. But he concluded his book of Ecclesiastes. Everything having been considered, it all comes down to the sole obligation of man is to fear the true God and keep his commandments. And it's too bad Solomon didn't do that, isn't it? <laughs> but um, it might not be as easy as uh, some imagine either. I, I think some of our brothers at the headquarters there don't really fear Jehovah. Uh, but that's that's for Jehovah to determine. Anyway, um, you have to use your imagination a little bit, you know, if you're immortal, what what would you do? Uh, my answer is anything you want to do. 
And if you're immortal and if you have life in yourself and Jehovah has made you as a carbon copy of himself, just as Jesus is the exact image and representation of Jehovah, then you can't lie either. It's impossible for you to lie or do anything wrong. And you can just do whatever you want, like Jehovah does, for the good of everyone. So I think, and you know, I'm just using my little imagination here, I think the creation will go on and on and on. What Jehovah started will be finished. What Jehovah started with Adam and Eve, what did he give them? The power to recreate, to procreate. Well, God gives that power to others. There's no end to this thing. There's an endless future. We don't just sit around twiddling our thumbs. That doesn't bring honor to God. Life will be a thrill a minute forever. But I think, I think those 144,000 will go off and become creators of new worlds, new universes. What is there? Is there a brick wall at the end of the universe? This dead end? You know? No. Think of the universe, this vast, immense universe that no one knows the boundaries of. Think of it as a, like a little postage stamp in size, you know? from Jehovah's standpoint, because that's what it is. How many postage stamps are there in the world? <laughs> so I think it just goes on and on and on. Endless happiness. Would you get bored with that? I don't think so. Anyway, use a little bit of your imagination there, my friend, and uh, let's do what we can to further the truth and may God bless your search for the truth. <laughs>